Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 43, Javanese Mermaid Queen. I just, the title says it all, really. All of our titles always say it all, though. That's not saying much. Uh, I mean, this one's just amazing. You see it, you go, Javanese Mermaid Queen? Hell exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We aim to deliver, and this episode is going to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, uh, Amanda, but first, I think... We have a sponsor for this episode? Uh, yeah, it's Videoblocks, where you can get studio quality stock audio, video, and motion graphics images too for a fraction of the cost of the, getting those professional things on your own. Um, you can check out all they have to offer and sign up for a free seven-day trial at videoblocks.com spirits. It's good stuff, y'all. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it later, right? We super are. Uh, also, in terms of uh, money and cool things, people are getting their merch. Yes, Yay! it's so cute to see all of your photos of all your cool shirts and your pin sets and oh your my stickers gosh. going on your swag. So good. I yeah, uh, surprise, we sent some stickers. We're very excited about it. They're now for sale, as is all of our merch. We're able to keep the t-shirt, the pins, and now Spirits Podcast logo vinyl stickers, y'all at spiritspodcast.com slash merch. So if you haven't ordered them, if you missed the pre-order for whatever reason, you can still get them. It's you really can. cool. You can still rock that kind of creepy, kind of cool shirt and the pin set and now cool ass stickers. And the more folks order our t-shirt, the higher the demand, the sooner we'll be able to put out more. So we're going to get a logo t-shirt. Don't worry. We have lots of other ideas. We'd love to do a tote bag. Mm-hmm. So if it's something that you guys show us that you want, we'll be able to get it to you quicker. And we do want to get you some cool new designs. We super do. Um, also, speaking of your generous purchase and wise oh use gosh. of money, um, we hit our Patreon goal. We sure as shit did, Julia. Oof. We are going to go weekly, people. Um, starting in October. In October. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to be kind of tober. Kind of tober? I think it's uh, a good hashtag. Creepy tober? Creepy tober, kind of tober? Kind of creepy, We're going to figure something out. <laughs> we'll it's going to be know. a cool hashtag. If you have an idea, let us know. But we, we're so excited. We're so excited to go weekly. And uh, next episode, we're going to let you know a little more specifically what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. We're going to have some kind of recurring segments that we'll bring um, instead of just the you know more like drawn out schedule we've had. We'll have some changes to our Patreon, which we'll also announce. But we are so stoked and we are so grateful. And I can't think of a better birthday present to you, Julia, whose yes. birthday is in early October, than <laughs> to make our baby go weekly. Yes, I am so excited excited to bring more myths to all y'all oh my gosh and we have to thank first and foremost our supporting producer level patrons leanne shannon phil Catherine, christina mcf sarah katie deborah julie dylan philip cammy and chandra welcome oh you guys are the magic girl transforming goddesses of our souls and thank you so much to the very many people who started uh, pledging to our Patreon or who upgraded their pledge. There are a lot of your names. I'm just going to do it quickly. Ready, Jules? I believe in you. Thank you, too. Amanda, Rachel, Good Dog, Bridge, Kathy, 11 to Midnight, Spooky Sandra, Neon Green Tiger, Tired Horse, Jessica, Tiff, Raina, John, Abby, Hillary, Rita, C-Swack, Sam, Catherine, Kate, Sam, again, Charles, Meg, Guybrush, Ray, and Yana. Woo! Woohoo! We love you. Thank you. You're We're all amazing. so happy to have you with us. 
you're just all the coolest. You're all creepy and cool, and we love it so much. The creepiest and coolest. Um, I think that's it for now, Jules. Um, I actually had one more thing. We got a very nice email uh, about Android users and the like, and how they can help you know, spread the word about the show besides rating and reviewing on Apple podcasts. You can still do that from iTunes on your desktop, which is very helpful, but we love you also. And we still want you to help us. The single best thing you can do is to recommend us to a friend like in the flesh or over text in the flesh, great BBC TV show shout out. Uh, But anyway, social media is, is awesome and we appreciate it. But if you just like sit down your creepy coolest friend and you're like, listen, this is how you do a podcast. This is what a podcast is. You're going to like it. I promise that really is, is the most lasting and helpful thing you can do for us. Our favorite thing in the world is to see people recommending us to other people on Twitter. It is my favorite thing. I like and hold them all dear to my heart. It's amazing. It's amazing. And we really, really thank you. Um, But in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 43, Javanese Mermaid Queen. Amanda, if you ever happen to be in Java, especially on the second day of Rua, which is May in the Gregorian Western calendar, uh, you might have the opportunity to witness a celebration. It is to commemorate the ascension of the current Susuhunan, or prince, of the royal palace of Surakarta. If you're lucky, you'll have the opportunity to see a dance known as the Bedhaya Katawang, a sacred dance performed by nine women who are unmarried relatives of the current prince. This, Amanda, would be a great honor because it's usually only performed for a private audience. As you watch the women perform, and if you look carefully, if the wind is blowing off the sea in the right direction, and if you let yourself fall into a semi-trance, you might see a tenth dancer who has joined the dance. And that dancer, Amanda, is known as Kanjeng Ratu Kidul, also known as the Mermaid Queen. Oh my gosh, I want to know everything more. All right, good. Because <laughs> um, this episode was actually suggested by a listener, uh, Elise, who wanted to hear some stories from her home of Java in Indonesia. Amazing. Uh, And after reading the summary she sent, which was amazing, by the way, um, I super wanted to dive into the story, which is a pun because she's known as the queen of the Southern Sea. I love it. I love it so (laughs) much. It's a good pun. I want to know everything. Okay. Um, So you're probably wondering why someone known as the Mermaid Queen would come to perform once a year for a king. Yeah. Uh, The Badaya Katawang is supposed to reenact the story of an affair between Penembahan Senopatai, uh, which is the king of Java. He was a historical king from the 16th century. Hmm. Um, and Kanjeng Ratu Kidal, uh, mermaid queen. Yes. Just, um, should I just use mermaid queen from now on? Or? Uh, I think so. Okay. You did a great job pronouncing stuff. Thank but you. My brain just goes, huh? <laughs> yeah, okay. So mermaid queen from now on. Now, at the start of the story... The mermaid queen was only a princess, uh, but she would eventually become this mermaid goddess. A human princess. Yes, she was a human princess. So she has human origins. Um, The story that she is associated with is linked to a historical figure. Awesome. And it's really cool and really interesting. So the story begins with a beautiful princess who suffered from leprosy uh, by a curse that was placed on her by her jealous stepmother. Okay. Which is, it's kind of amazing that the 
evil stepmother is a thing in almost every culture. I was just going to say, there are so many analogs that you can draw already to stories that we grew up hearing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love that, you know, A, there is there are like multiple kind of historical uh, roots here mm-hmm. where like the king was a real person leprosy is a real thing yeah. but also already the strain of the mystical right which is that like the disease was placed on her by you know an, an evil stepmother and eventually obviously she grows to be some mythical figure herself yeah it's very snow white it's very cinderella which i i dig because it's a non-western story so all of a sudden we have even early on in the story we have sort of a connection to it that we as westerners can make yeah um but i it, again, it's that aspect of everything in the world and all human stories are human stories. Yeah. And it's easy to find the common roots. Absolutely. And like Butterfly Lovers that we talked about several episodes ago was a story that was both familiar, but also surprising. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see how the story like conforms to, but also differs from, but also differs from my ideas of, you know, what, what love stories or tragic downfalls look like. Yes. I, God, I love that. I love, I love all the connections. The world is so cool. It's a complex place. So wait, what happens? How does she become a mermaid queen? Yes. Okay. She was said to bring shame on her kingdom because of her disfigured state, which is like, a little gross but we'll move on um and so ashamed she went to java's southern coast to meditate because that's okay. what you do nice um the southern coast is well known uh it's very rough and it's got raging oceans and the waves would crash very violently against the cliffs uh may i just point out this is already more interesting than iron fist okay great because i started watching iron fist and we were just talking about this earlier yep so she meditates along the coast uh, until she starts hearing a divine voice that calls to her. Ooh. It entices her to enter the violent waves. Wow. Which normally, normally in a story that we're telling, that's not a good idea. No, but I'm assuming that uh, she comes out on top, also getting strong Moana vibes, which I really dig. I do feel the strong Moana vibes now that you pointed out. Um, now, from all our favorite drowning stories... You would think that's not a good idea. Um, But when she enters the ocean, the waves swallow her and she emerges again, reborn as a beautiful water goddess. So healed from her leprosy, no longer disfigured, just beautiful goddess enchanting sea-ness. (laughs) It didn't work. That is amazing and leads me to wonder what could have actually happened that leads to you know the like mythologizing of this moment yeah i'm not actually entirely sure it's very interesting yeah because i i like the idea and i like the premise of someone ordinary finding a higher calling and becoming something that's more than human yeah and it and having this connection to humans which we'll kind of discuss as we dig into the story let's hear it okay Um, so as the princess is busy going through a magic girl transformation in the ocean, like a boss, um, there is a Javanese leader known as Sentopati. Uh, he too was kind of struggling and having a crisis of faith. So he too went to the South to pray and contemplate the future of his ruling. Nice. As he's sitting on the Southern cliffs, overlooking the Southern sea, he is lured into the ocean by the princess who had the cool magical transformation, our mermaid queen. Um, she brings him down to her submerged palace, which again, remains one of my favorite tropes in all of mythology. God, I love it. I love a good submerged palace. They're always fascinating. I think I was forced to watch so much SpongeBob SquarePants when babysitting my baby siblings Mm -hmm. that I am just really into the idea of like a dome at the bottom of the sea that you live in. Yes, me too. I love it. 
So she brings him down to this palace uh, and they spend three days celebrating a honeymoon where she taught him both the secrets of love and how to lead and govern successfully. Oh my God. This is my favorite manic pixie dream mermaid trope that I could possibly ask for. I know. It's pretty damn great if you ask me. Uh, wait, did she did she like have him under her spell? Is that why they got married? Or did he like, she like drag him in and when he was there he was like, this is great. And then they, you know. I, I think love. it was a mutual thing. I don't think she put any sort of magic on him. And I mean, she also I would also be impressed. She also didn't force him to come down to the ocean. She invited him basically. Lured him. Yes. Lord is a good word, I guess. I, I love how the agency for morally dubious decisions is taken away from men and placed on women with the trope of the like feminine wiles mm-hmm. or the like seductress. Yes. Uh, when in fact, like if you make an invitation, the person accepts it. It's the person who accepted it that is at fault if that yeah. thing was like, you know, betraying their spouse or something. Right. And it's also not a situation where she is putting pressure on him or right. forcing him to do anything just She's like the just... sea calls me and no one knows how far it goes like <laughs> Thank come you on for that. <laughs> um i feel like I, it, this dude's also not married so yes. he's not really having any sort of you know affair or anything like that in order to get with our mermaid queen one of the less problematic uh human uh demigod relationships we've seen right and also i think uh in at this point in history uh the royal families could have multiple wives and oh, we're celebrating polygamy. So you do you not a huge deal either way because of the union between the mermaid queen and uh, Senopati, all of Senopati's descendants um, that came after him would have a spiritual connection with her. And she acted as a divine guide in times of need. Did they have kids together or it was just like a, a influence on the family and the lineage? I don't, think they had kids together i am not entirely sure but uh regardless anyone that shares his blood would have this sure. divine connection with them cool um so this relationship with the goddess uh goes back uh, goes back from the 16th century and is still celebrated today wow so even uh for example in the 1980s one of the members of the royal family who had played a diplomatic role uh in the Japanese occupation of Java during World War II uh, and had led the fight basically for the independence of Java against the Dutch, uh, spent every June 21st going to the southern coast of Java, leaving a full set of women's clothing and his hair and nail clippings as a sign of his respect for the goddess. I mean, that's a pretty good offering. It's pretty solid. Also at the summer solstice, like that's a pretty significant day. Yeah. And it's around that time where it's the celebration for the divine influence and the relationship between uh, the royalty and the goddess is celebrated. So I I super like that. It's really interesting. Um, so what do we know about the mermaid goddess outside of this story? Um, we know that she is like the ocean. She is both fearsome, like a stormy sea, but also benevolent and calm because, you know, the ocean gives trade and gives livelihood and all that sort of thing. Same. (laughs) Same. Uh, She is said to change forms between an old hag and a beautiful maiden, depending on the moon cycle. Connecting the fact that the ocean is influenced by the cycles of the moon, which is really cool. I love that. I, man, it always, I love when it's sort of a, we understand as humans even when we don't have scientific explanations for it, just yeah. human beings are like, oh, when the moon is like this, the ocean is like this. And so they must be connected somehow. Absolutely. And it feels so right yes. because there is actually a link between those things. And I know we discussed in our werewolf episode, uh, kind of the the 
interesting link between you know, the lunar cycle and things that are coded as feminine, Um, you know, specifically the menstrual cycle or kind of other ways that like just rhythms of the earth match up to rhythms of the moon. Mm -hmm. And this is a dope example of the same thing. And we also see a lot of moon goddesses are in fact goddesses and not gods because we tend to, especially in the Western uh, concepts, we tend to associate femininity with uh, the moon just as a spirit and as a celestial deity. Yeah. Fertility and all that good stuff. So she's also seen to be the protector of navigators and sailors uh, and favors those who wear green, especially if they're traveling over her domain in the Southern Ocean. So sort of the opposite of a siren then, like keeping folks to their path instead of luring them off of it. Yes, very much so. And there's, um, if I remember correctly, there is a specific Greek god who his whole thing was he used to be a sailor. He ate some sort of magic herb like Harry Potter in the Goblet of Fire uh, and then became a sea god and his specific... Uh, domain was over protecting sailors and fishermen. Whoa. Yeah. I can't remember his name right now, but... Don't you love, though, how Gillyweed was, like, totally marijuana? And J.K. <laughs> Rowling was just... <gasps> what? Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just in fanfic, but, like, smoking dried Gillyweed. I'm pretty sure this is that not That is fanfic. 100% then... a fanfic <laughs> <Okay>. thing. <laughs> I'm just looking at you like this. not canon. <laughs> in any case, uh, Gillyweed is totally the, the pot of the Harry Potter universe. Yes. Okay. If you say so. Just, I, feel like I have no direct experience. I'm just like saying. Mandrake leaves or something like that. Right, right. The screaming babies. Yeah. I mean, just parents Gillyweed are going to it. has an association with water that, unless you're like ripping a bong mad hard, I can't imagine <laughs> that gillyweed and regular weed would be associated together. Uh, maybe it is just the word weed. Uh, f- fellow fandom aficionados, please correct me on this one. And Amanda, that's all well and good. But I think first... I'm going to need a refill. Oh my gosh, let's do it. So this week, Julia, Spirits is brought to us by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is a stock footage, stock video, stock image, stock motion graphic website where instead of paying all the time out of pocket for all the different professional quality, like images, audio, sound effects, whatever you might need. You just pay one thing, 149 bucks a year. That is like the cost of three or four really good stock images. That is true. Um, And you have access to their library for the whole year. Yes. um, As someone who has had to do research for a documentary series and needed stock footage and stock images, um, it is really nice to find one, a place that has super good quality stuff and two is so affordable. Yeah, it's it's hard when you're producing a documentary or or something where people are just talking about the past and you're like you can't just have a, a camera on a person's face for 12 minutes talking no, about like John work. Adams, right? So you need some stock footage of like horses and houses and signing things for the and revolutionary America war yeah. and tea and beer. And all those and more can be found at Videoblocks. Um, and they're actually offering for listeners of Spirits um, free seven-day trials. So if you go to videoblocks.com slash spirits, that's V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash spirits, you can save on millions, millions of studio quality clips from Videoblocks. Yeah, and we know so many people who are creating amazing audio dramas yes. or something that needs, you know, high quality sounds that you can't normally get. You either have to make it yourself or pay a ton for right, um, per per thing. per thing. Like if I need a blaster noise for a sci-fi <laughs> thing, I'm I don't want to pay out of pocket for that. But Videoblocks has that sort of thing, and if you pay for the year, 
you're all set. You can use as many blaster noises as you want, goddammit. You can get varieties. You can get airlock noises. You can get door slamming noises. Can you tell we've been listening to Wolf 359 over and over again? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> So I would recommend you check out Video Blocks. You do that seven-day free trial. It is amazing, and the quality of their stuff is unbelievable. Absolutely. So again, that's videoblocks.com slash spirits. Link is also going to be in the description. But thank you so much to Video Blocks for sponsoring spirits. We super appreciate it. We use your service, and we love it so much. So thank you. Now let's get back to the show. When she is not pleased with the status quo, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis can all be attributed to her malcontent. Uh, want to win her favor a bit more? Uh, besides the green fabrics and the nail and hair clippings, like we discussed before, mm-hmm. she loves body lotion, perfume, and incense. Nice. Like like any, it kind of reminds me of Mami Wada a bit. Yeah, nice and uh, and our, some of our Urzulis as well with the spices and colors. Yeah. Uh, in order to get these offerings to her, they're usually attached to bamboo rafts, which are then released onto the stormy ocean waters so that she can receive them, mm. which is adorable. I like I that, love that so much. Like, we won't make you come to shore. We'll send them off to you. Yeah, no. Be polite. Venmo that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's ancient Venmo. <laughs> um, it's the Amazon Prime of the Javanese culture yeah and if it's stormy if that ocean's churning you get that one day shipping <laughs> all right this uh this simile has reached its natural okay, we're, conclusion we're at the same time uh often a similar offering will be given at the volcanic peak of mount mirapi which is associated with the goddess as well nice because volcanic eruptions and stuff like that and it's interesting because uh we'll talk about this a little bit later but there's a distinct celestial symmetry when it comes to uh locations that are associated with her on the island celestial symmetry was my alt rock band in high school yeah i know it was (laughs) (laughs) i came to your uh your rehearsals guys i couldn't be farther from a high school band player no the furthest thing nope nope nope. amanda sent me a photo of her like six-year-old's uh softball pick today and it was the funniest thing i've ever seen i look like i am saying to the photographer why am i holding this bat when i could be holding a book get me out of here it's amazing (laughs) okay um so what's important to understand about modern interpretations of the mermaid goddess is that she was most likely inspired by hindu and buddhist tantric traditions but java now is a uh has a majority muslim population yeah Um, But because of her association with the royal family, her story, her worship, and and just the way that the traditions are integrated with the culture, it Mm -hmm. still remains prominent today. Nice. While it's not pagan, it's fine. I mean, yeah, basically. Um, So we can argue that she, as a story, has survived for a long time. We're dating back to the 16th century, and she's still maintained this very key part in the culture. Good 500 years, yeah. Yeah. So she likely started as an indigenous story, then was adapted by Hindu and Buddhist traditions, and then survives despite the country following Islamic practices. That's awesome. Which is hardcore, if you ask me. There's not a lot of traditions that really last as long as that. Yeah, and we see this over and over where a really, like, elemental, um, you know, belief or figure, god or goddess, you know, is adopted by a conquering culture right because something like fertility love you know um nature sun mm-hmm. you know all of these kinds of uh really basic forces that shape everyday life like those are the first things that are going to get represented by you know stories and lore 
Yeah, and I agree with that. And it's really interesting, too, because normally when we look at that sort of thing in the lens of Christianity or really any Abrahamic religion, uh, those specific areas of life tend to be kind of usurped and taken over by the larger deity or in a lot of cases like specifically with catholicism um it's specific things are given to the saints Mm -hmm. which don't reach the level of you know deified but they still kind of cover their bases and it allows for more specific worship gives you a sanctioned way to perform you know the worship toward the forces that people were already doing yeah exactly um but in this circumstance she's still a goddess and she's still worshipped regardless of what predominant religion is being practiced in the country which i really like it's really interesting so how is she presented under islamic influence how has that like shaped her practice well so it's actually really interesting uh that you bring that up because she is not shown in a lot of art well sure per kind of islamic guidelines right i was gonna say that um however as we started seeing the story with the episode the way that the episode uh, showed off with the dance. Yeah. Uh, she's highly represented in the for, uh, the performing arts. Nice. In rituals and specifically in architecture, which is really, really interesting. So not physically represented in architecture, but her presence is made in architecture. I'll explain later. I have a whole paragraph on architecture and I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, so am I. I'm like setting up really straight because I love architecture. <laughs> okay. So architecture is really interesting and obviously something we don't talk about a lot in mythology. No. Um, but in this instance, the royal residencies in Java are specifically positioned at the center of the axis connecting the two places that are associated with the mermaid goddess. So the shores of the South Sea and uh, that volcano that I spoke about earlier. Whoa. So at these royal residences, which are known as cretons, uh, they are decorated with black sand from the beaches of the Southern Sea. Whoa. Uh, and they line the courtyards. I love that so So it's much. almost like, it reminds me of salt lines protecting the area and having the divine influence of the goddess there. At the palace, there is a large octagonal tower known as the Songo Buono, which means the support of the universe. Each year on the anniversary of his coronation, the prince will retire to the highest floor of the tower where he is said to meet with the mermaid queen and renew his divine powers by meeting with her. That is incredible. I really like that a lot. I also love the idea that a royal family is not just like imbued with divine um, endorsement forever and ever, but you have to like go and re-up that stuff. You have to go and reconnect, which is a cool kind of callback to the origin of this myth around the the i think it was the king or the prince like Mm -hmm. going to really seek guidance and to seek like understanding and calmness and insight within himself right and Um, then gaining that insight and the ability to rule from the goddess herself right which is really it's it's i just i love this relationship between the divine and the royalty in this situation it's really kind of very beautiful also, real quick, that tower reminds me of my favorite game, Monument Valley, which is a beautiful uh, game for iOS where you play a princess um, who is in a like mystical kind of like optical illusion piece of architecture floating in the middle of space. And you like turn the structure with your fingers on your phone and it's like, you know, uh, staircases, like the staircases that meet, you know, on, on all four corners, like illusions that shouldn't exist. Oh, the MC Escher. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like they actually do exist in the game. And so you have to just like rotate the structure until staircases meet up like Hogwarts style. Interesting. And it is really gorgeous and calming. It takes like an hour to play through all the way. And it is a game that I recommend to people who don't like games. 
That sounds like a very you slash very zen game. Yes. And I, I like that. That sounds cool. I dig it. There's also the Tamansari, which means fragrant garden, uh, which is made up of an artificial lake, uh, some bathing pools, a meditation grotto, and most importantly, a system of underground tunnels. Whoa, for what? One of the tunnels in particular is said to connect the Tamansari in the palace uh, with the uh, goddess's palace underneath the sea. So basically, it's if the royalty needed to go visit the goddess for whatever reason, they had a uh, underground tunnel that led straight to her place. That is so beautiful and practical and like a physical commitment to this story, which just like kind of overwhelms me. Yeah. Um, So that is the story. That is the mermaid goddess. Uh, And I think the lens that I want to look at today is the concept of tangible legacy. Yeah. Because there's a great quote that I read about it that um, one of the articles that I was using to do research, they interviewed the Java people. And one of the people said, you do not see her, yet she permeates everything. She is present in the most important moments of the life of Javanese people. Wow. It's it's beautiful, honestly. So I really love this concept because you know me. I love history and I love the idea of traditions that last a very long time and maintain the tradition. Like a lot of stuff that we talk about, um, for example, when we talked about jack-o'-lanterns, it mm-hmm. started as one thing. We still do it today, but it's kind of lost the meaning. Yeah. Like we can look back in history and understand this is why we started doing it. We still do it right now, even though it has lost the meaning that we're looking at. But when it comes to the mermaid goddess, she is, she's there. She's permanent. She is there and is still has influence regardless of all the time that's passed. Wow. And I think that the, just the way that her legacy is still tangible is still exists and is felt by the people um, is extremely important. And the way that just the idea that they do this dance every year and people still know that she is there. They still feel her presence. That's what stands out to me a lot about this myth. And that's what I think makes it different from a lot of the myths that we've talked about in the past. And it also seems to be a really equalizing myth where it's not just a source of legitimacy for the ruling family, but also something that empowers everyday people. So often you see a disconnect there where there's a mythology, a mythos, a a practice around a royal or ruling um, class, dynasty, family, whatever. And then kind of like peasant traditions or populist, you know, mythos are a kind of different or separate thing. And so for this to be something that is like built into the, you know, everyday traditions of normal Javanese people, but also like a physical um, embodied and, you know, ritualized part of, of rule of the highest class in the land. Mm -hmm. um, That's something pretty special. Yeah. And I feel as though the fact that she is so highly associated with the Royal family, but the people of uh, Java still feel her presence in everyday things, and especially during uh, during these celebrations, it feels very diplomatic to me, or democratic, I guess, yeah. um, because it's not just the kings and the princes that have to humble themselves to this goddess. Anyone could go to those shores and meditate on how they can be a better husband, how they could be a better parent, how they could be you know, more, more of a 
representative, more of a governing force in their own lives. Yeah. And I, I like that idea that anyone can have that experience that this king had on the coast that one day. Like nothing is stopping them. They have that relationship still and they get to renew it, but it's not stopping anyone else from making these uh, sacrifices, making these pledges to the goddess. Yeah. And like maybe going to the south shore of a country is the, you know, peak of going there to reconnect. But it sounds like you can sit by any body of water, you know, and, yeah. and kind of think about um, meditate on kind of call for guidance. Yeah. You can go to the south. You could wear your green. Uh, and you can think about what you can do for the goddess and what the goddess can do for you. Thanks, JFK. Thanks, JFK. <laughs> but that, actually, speaking of our Catholic president, um, the old, <laughs> that's another thing that really interests me about this myth um, is that idea of meditation um, and and where you draw the line between looking inside yourself for answers and appealing to an outside force or a deity. Mm. Um, so when I was little and I would lose things, like a bracelet or the TV remote, my dad would always say, well, look for it really hard. And if you look for it and you can't find it and you're really at your wits end, pray to St. Anthony. You can't pray to St. Anthony if you haven't looked for it. Like you can't just be like the the like easy pass mm-hmm. to to finding your thing. But if you do and you're, you know, and you're really there, he can help you. Um, and lots of times I do remember, you know, feeling hopeless, praying to St. Anthony. And then soon afterward, I would find the object and no shade to folks who do pray to saints in everyday situations. Um, but I realized at a certain point, like, oh, the act of like finishing my frantic search and kneeling down for a moment and collecting my breath and saying a prayer and clearing my head probably helped me to actually find those objects. Um, and you can call it divine influence. You can call it, you know, calming down enough to get my wits about me and do it. But that is always such a fine line between, you know, are the answers in you all along? Are they whispered to you by a force? Is the act of prayer, you know, there is a calming, meditative, you know, blood pressure lowering, mind opening effect to calming the hell down to stating your intentions and saying like, listen, I need help. And I think it's just like a really beautiful thing that humans have done for a long, long time is to, you know, kneel down, humble yourself and, and ask. Yeah. I like that idea that, um, that sort of prayer and meditation are in the same sense, uh, a practice in mindfulness. Yeah. Because I, I agree with you completely humbling yourself either to yourself if you are not a spiritual person or to something higher than you if you are a spiritual person yeah, um, is a really empowering thing. And that's what I really like about this goddess because she starts out this story as someone who needs to kind of think about her place in the world. And she goes down to the Southern shore to pray and to kind of meditate on her situation. And in doing so in having this mindful moment she is physically transformed and i think that in a lot of sense when we take the time to be mindful and uh, take the time to sort of think about our own situations and our own roles in the world we can transform ourselves maybe not physically into mermaid goddesses sure but um, we can try i mean we can try but uh into just better people you know what i mean I do. And this is reminding me too, not not to get too serious here, but of my own experience 
seeking help for mental illness. And just that act of saying, I can't do this on my own. I need some help here is, is such an empowering, transformative step. And there is something really, really powerful about, you know, stripping away your distractions and kind of reckoning with a thing inside yourself that is causing you distress or confusion, um, whether that is again, illness or just uncertainty or, you know, desperation, um, like, like the mermaid queen did of just saying like, listen, you know, I, I need some guidance here. It's, it's, it is humbling on the one hand, but also like almost one of the most empowering things you can do on the other. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's the whole reason the prince goes to the South shore in the first place, um, is because he's having his own crisis of faith. He doesn't know if he can rule. He doesn't know how to, you know, how to deal with the inner turmoil inside of him. And he is lucky enough to have that guidance from the mermaid queen when he goes. Um, and I think that whether the mermaid queen is inside you or the mermaid queen is a therapist or someone who can lead you to a better conclusion or just to a better state of mindfulness, um, is it's up to you. It's, it's an individual experience. Um, but I really enjoy the idea that, we all have our own experience and we all go through times of trouble. Um, and if it's something that can help you, finding help is one way of doing it. Practicing mindfulness is another way of doing it. At the end of the day, it's all about finding that peace and finding that connection to the world and to you, if that makes sense. And leaving your everyday life can be really helpful in that regard. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that pilgrimages are a thing, not just to go to the sacred site, but also to, you know, get out of your everyday context and Mm. to really be alone with yourself and your thoughts. Uh, I've done a lot of solo traveling and that has always been my experience is getting outside my daily life. I feel like I have the like most pure distillation of like myself and my experience and thinking about what I want to do in the future. I love reading when I'm traveling because it's just like such a pure connection I have with the book that I'm reading and I have such strong associations of like reading Tana French murder mysteries in a cafe in Cusco, Peru. Um, Damn, but that's a good memory. It is really good. Shout out Catherine Addington. We uh, we sat in the highest Irish pub in the world, which is in <laughs> Cusco, and read for like four hours as some uh, English soccer bros watched a game. It was beautiful. That's the most you moment I've ever heard of in my entire life. Yep, yep. It's pretty good. But the point is that that whatever the thing is that you're struggling with, or if you just want to kind of have a like centering again, you know, bringing back to yourself and, and your, um, I don't know, your core values, getting outside of your daily circumstance can really help. Maybe it's, you know, going to a museum for the day and losing yourself in that world. If you can't, you know, uproot your life and go travel for two months, which I would love to do. Um, wouldn't we all, I know, I know. But again, if it's your therapist's office, if it's going on a walk, if it's, you know, going to a different country with a backpack and a Kindle, um, it can be really, really empowering. And I don't know, it can teach you a lot just to be alone with yourself and your thoughts to be outside of the, the everyday circumstances you've become used to. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I really like that this story has led to that conclusion just to be more within yourself and find the knowledge both from the world and within yourself. Also, like I want subterranean tunnels leading to the ocean. (laughs) I was going to say, can we talk about how there's Irish pubs everywhere? 
Just uh, all over the world. Yes. And uh, again, a friend of the show, Catherine Addington, our former guest from Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, has a, a unified theory of the Irish pubs. Barrel. What's that? The Cracker Barrel theory? The Cracker Barrel theory, right, which is that every Cracker Barrel is actually the same place and you just like step through the door and it's like a, a time warped portal to the I, same Cracker Barrel. I, I completely subscribe to that theory i know i i feel the same way about irish pubs uh which is that you know no matter where you go you'll have a, a manufactured mahogany paneled there's some kind of steak you know pie on the menu and uh and it's just it's home do you know how many irish pubs there are in rome a lot just I a lot you. of irish pubs and i drank it at least three of them when i was there for three days <laughs> <laughs> i went to a bunch in uh in amsterdam as well there are some excellent normal pubs amsterdam at least is a little closer you I mean, there's I lots mean? of them in Cusco, Peru. I mean, no. there's at least two. I, there you Only go. one of them has the highest altitude, though. Well, that one is special. And I will. It. I will find a picture for our uh, Patreon show notes of the highest Irish pub in the world sign. <laughs> Solid. Um, so, everyone, I think that's it for today. And uh, stay creepy. Stay cool. Queers was created by Julia Shafini and me, Amanda McLaughlin. It's edited by Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Subscribe to Spirits on your preferred podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr at Spirits Podcast. On our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, you can sign up for exclusive content like behind-the-scenes photos, audio extras, director's commentary, blooper reels, and beautiful recipe cards with custom drink and snack pairings. If you like the show, please share with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>